Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to see you here and uh, great to be combined uh, together. I was just uh, talking to um, Lana actually before the service and one of the things that's been super encouraging is to see the band. I can remember you guys about four years ago when we started the 5pm service, uh, just the... uh, just working with you guys and going, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to sound any good. And yet you hear them today and they same fanta- sound, sound fantastic. So thanks, guys, for serving us. Um, uh, we're, we're going to look at Colossians 1. So, so please keep that open as we think about where God wants us to be, where we believe that God wants us to be in, in the future. And uh, so with that in mind, how about I pray? Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray as we look at your word, as we think about uh, the vision that we believe that you've given us, that you would help us not only to understand your word, but also to understand where we fit into this vision that you've given us. Lord, we pray as we have got a big, huge vision that you would empower us and you would so move amongst us and amongst this community, amongst our friends and family and co-workers, so that you would realize this vision through us. No, uh, we, we, we pray that you would help us to realize that you have to move, that we are merely servants. And so we pray that you would move powerfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, there was a guy from, who was new here, and I met him after church. And one of the things I love to do with anyone who's new, I always say, hey, um, I would love to meet with you sometime in the next couple of weeks and have a coffee with you or have lunch with you and sit down, chat about church and see if there's any questions you've got about our church or you know that kind of thing. And so we arranged this time, and we met at the Macquarie Center, and we got our drinks, we sat down, and he said, okay, so what's your church on about? And I was really kind of taken aback, because usually it's like, so Hans, how long have you been at this church? Or we talk about their work or something. But straight in, what's your church on about? And I was kind of flustered by that. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, some churches, they're, they're on about social justice, uh, and they're really into that. And then there's some churches that are on about being hip and cool and having all these lights and everything. And then there's some churches which are all on about the music. And then there's some churches which are trying to be fancy and upper class and other churches which are trying to be, be smart. What are you guys on about? Uh, and I, I, I took a breath and I thought, and I said, we're all on about Jesus. In the end, we're, we're all on about Jesus. And I'm not sure if he found that, that, uh, that answer really compelling because we didn't see him again. But in the end, that's what our church is all on about, isn't it? It's all on about Jesus, glorifying him and helping people come to know him, maybe for the first time or maybe to know him more and more and more. Everything that we do is all on about him and making him known. And so as we think about the vision this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to have a big vision of Jesus. Not just a a kind of an idea of our vision for our church, but have a big vision of Jesus that excites us to action. And so that's why we're looking at Colossians 1. We're going to focus on Jesus this morning. 
And within this sermon, I will be helping us see how our vision fits into what we see in this passage. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things about Jesus. We're going to see that he's the ruler of all creation, that Jesus is the ruler of the church, and Jesus is the God that saves us. Jesus is the ruler of creation. Jesus is the ruler of the church. And Jesus is the God who saves us. And as we look at Jesus and we see our vision, my, my, my hope and prayer is that we would be catalyzed to action. That, that we as a church would not just go, yes, this is the God we worship, but it is, this is the God we worship with our whole lives. And so with that in mind, let's have a look at G, the first point. Jesus is the ruler of all creation. Have a look at verse 15 with me. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Here Paul is talking about Jesus, Jesus the Son, the second person of the Trinity. You notice what he says. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, he, it's not trying to say that he's kind of like a photo. No, he's, he's the God who makes the invisible God visible. What Paul is saying is if 2,000 years ago, if you looked at Jesus, you would be looking at God himself. And, and, and don't get tripped up when it says the firstborn overall creation. It's not trying to say that you know before the universe was created, Jesus was created. No, it uses the firstborn in the technical sense. Um, I grew up in, uh, you know, my dad was Danish, but my mum was Aussie, and so we're kind of an Aussie family. But I knew some families where the firstborn male was the most important member of, you know, the, the, the group of children. And it was the firstborn male when the, ki when the parents died that he was setting the agenda for the whole church, uh, not the whole church, the, the whole family. And, and it was the firstborn male who got all the inheritance because he was the most important. Now, here's, that's what Paul is saying about Jesus here, that he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the most important person when it comes to creation. He's ruling over all creation. It's not saying something about whether he's created or not, because as we all see, everything is created through him. And so how can you have someone who has everything created through him and yet being created? No, Paul is saying... He is ruling over all creation. And not only that, he upholds it. Have a look at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. But Paul is saying, if you have a look at Jesus, everything has been created through him, but everything has been created for him, that is, everything on this world is meant to glorify Jesus. Everything on the, in this universe points to him. And if you're wondering, well, what does that entail? Well, he says everything. It doesn't matter whether things are in heaven or on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, every single thing has been created through Jesus, but for Jesus, so that it would glorify him. I remember a number of years ago when I was living in Cogra, I was at another, uh, another church, and um, a few times a week when uh, Kate would work as a speech pathologist, I would uh, get the train home, I would pick up 
Niels and Emma from daycare. Elijah wasn't around yet. And uh, I would be walking home from Cogra Station to our home. And I'd be thinking, okay, I've got to do this and do that. I've got to put pasta on or whatever because, you know, I was the cook for that night. And uh, I was walking along. And then uh, as I was thinking about all this stuff, I realized that, that Emma wasn't around. You know, Niels was in the, bas- you know, the stroller. And I looked back and Emma is pointing at the ground laughing. And she goes, oh, Dad, come and see this. And I said, no, 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 we've got, we've got stuff to do, we can't. And she goes, no, they're so funny, you've got to come and see them. And so I walk back and my four-year-old daughter is doubled over, pointing at a bunch of ants and laughing uncontrollably. She thought they were hilarious. I couldn't see what was funny, honestly. But then I said, oh, we, we've got to go, we've got to go. And she goes, okay, fair enough. And, and with a big smile on, his, on her face, she goes, isn't God good that he created ants so we could laugh at them? See, even ants are created so that we would glorify the Lord Jesus. Everything. And you know what this means for you? You were created for that. You weren't created so that you would get more stuff. You weren't created so that you would have a, a bigger house, a, a, you know, more money. You weren't created for status in this world. You weren't created even to be a, a husband or a wife or a father or a wife or a son or a daughter. No, 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 no. Primarily, you were created to glorify the Lord Jesus. And it is only living out of that will you find your purpose in life. Everything comes secondary to that. And that's why it's so, so important that when we think about the vision of our church, we think about maturity. Maturity means that we want people to see what their purpose is, that they're meant to glorify the Lord Jesus as they study the word, as they study the word in community, as they hear the word preached, that they would grow to know and love Jesus more and that they would they would see their purpose is glorifying Him. And therefore, they would live in accordance to that. And this is the way we've talked about it in our vision. It's going to come up on the screen. So, next slide, please. Actually, next slide. So, we talk about, we want to be continually and joyfully transformed by the Spirit and the Word. That is maturity. That's what we want to see. But, but how do we know if individuals are growing in their maturity, in their knowledge and love of Jesus? Well, people who have studied this have, have looked at two questions. That, that, that they've seen that if these two questions are in the affirmative, what, what you see is people and a church growing in maturity. Here are those two questions. The first is, do you feel like you're growing in maturity? Right? So there's a question that we ask you, do you feel like you're growing in maturity? And the second question is, invite. Would you be willing to invite someone who doesn't know Jesus to church? And so if uh, researchers have said that if those two questions come out as positive, you've got a maturing person, you've got a maturing church. And so every year we're going to survey you guys and we're going to ask you a number of questions, but those are the two significant questions that we've asked. Earlier this year, we asked you those questions when we did a survey, the National Church Life Survey, and the results have just come out. It's been six months we've been waiting. But one of the really encouraging things for us is that we found that 
that there's a high percentage of us who feel like we've been growing in the last year as Christians. There's a high percentage of us who would uh, invite a, a person who doesn't know Jesus to church, and that is really encouraging, which says that as a church we are maturing. And so we want people to grasp how great Jesus is more and more and more and more, not only intellectually but on a heart level, and therefore live lives in, in, in response to that. And therefore, that's what we call by maturity. But let's have a look at our second point. You can take that down. Thanks, mate. Our second point is, is Jesus is the rule of the church. Have a look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul says here that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Have you ever seen a chicken without a head? I grew up in the country, and so I saw a couple of my friends, actually their dads, chop the head off a chook. And what's really interesting is the head goes flying and the, and the chook goes flying. They just run around like just in this crazy mess for like about a minute, and then they just drop dead, right? And they go everywhere, right? And for organizations, especially churches, if we forget that Jesus is our head, we will go off in all these different directions. We will be trying to please everybody in this church, which is impossible. But if we realize that and we remember that Jesus is the head of the church, we realize he sets the agenda, not us. He sets the agenda for where we're going. And so that is, is really, really, really important for us to keep remembering. That it's not me or the leadership team or anyone else that is the head of the church. It is Jesus. Everyone on the leadership team one day will die. I will die and yet this church will keep going because Jesus is the head of the church. He is the leader. He is the ruler of the church. He sets the agenda. And, And though Jesus is the ruler of the church, one of the things that we look around at the church especially in contemporary Australia, we see numbers going down. And some of us are scared about that, and yet we shouldn't be. Because if Jesus is the all-powerful one who is ruling and leading his church, the church will always have a voice in society. The church will always have people coming to know Jesus through it. The church will always be powerful, maybe not in a worldly sense, but definitely in an eternal sense. And Jesus has been working at this church. For the last five years, we've seen Jesus do amazing things. For the last 15 years, we've been seeing Jesus do amazing things. For the last 50 years, some of us here have seen Jesus do amazing things right back to 1933. I'm sure that... Evelyn right here can tell you of amazing things that God's been doing since 1933 when this church was established. And so when we look to our future, we, we, are, we, are, not, we are not forgetting about the amazing things that God has done. We, we celebrate those things. And yet what we're saying is we want more. We want more people to come to know Jesus. We want more uh, of God working in our church. But how does he work How does God work in his church? Well, he works through the word and the spirit, yes. But he works through the word and the spirit through people. 
And that's why it's really important for us to think about how we serve. And that's the next part of our vision, which is coming up up, up on the screen. We want to be a community filled with people who serve. Next slide, please, Ryan. Thank you. Um, And so we want to be a church where people love to serve the Lord Jesus, serve each other. What that means is we want to grow leaders who lead teams full of people who are joyfully mobilized to serve and love Jesus, his church, and our community. And what that means, what that means is that we want, we want to see people who are sitting here who may not be serving but start to serve, who may not be leading but start to lead. And we do that joyfully for the Lord Jesus, for the glorification of him. And so we want to see as many people serving We're developing a leadership pipeline where we see people go from non-leaders to leaders. Uh, And that's really encouraging, isn't it? As we saw Nat be one of those people who has grown to be a leader. We're putting on Gene next year as part of, you know, as an intern. And once again, that's extremely encouraging, right? Because we are seeing people become leaders in our church. And finally, we want to grow our staff team. As the church grows and as we have more opportunities to, to share the gospel, we want us to put more people on staff to serve not only the people here, but to serve our community, to see more people come to know Jesus. So I want to ask you this question. Where are you serving at the moment? If you call MCC your home, and I pray that you do, where are you serving? Well, where are you giving up your time to serve Jesus and his church here. Maybe you're, you're here already and you're serving already. Can I say thank you? I know how much time so many of you put into MCC here and it, and it doesn't go unnoticed. Not only do we see it, but we know that God sees it and one day he will reward you. And we know that God has done eternally significant things through you. And so thank you so much for serving. It is great and encouraging to see so many people here serve. But the second thing, when we think about church, it's kind of a peripheral thing, but but it's still a very important thing. We've got to create structures and systems that will help us run church really well. And this is what we call our operations. Next slide, Ryan. Thank you. And so we want to make sure that what we put in place helps us do gospel ministry. So next slide. We want to build more than adequate resources to reach the community with the gospel. And so ministry and mission don't run on just love and good feelings. It runs on so so much more than that. Now, one of the things I am so grateful for is our site. We got, including 62 next door, we got 6,600 square metres. But if we want to reach our community, we've got to redevelop at the site. And at the members meeting last week, we talked about uh, partnering with a group called the Sustainable Development Group, a group of Christians who want to help us and help other churches use, use their, their uh, resources, their land for the gospel and for the kingdom. And so if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, please come and talk to me about that. I'd love to chat with you about that. But we want to redevelop this site so it's a multi-purpose ministry site. But also we want to grow financially. And what that means is we want to make gains in gospel generosity. 
which means if you are new here and you call MCC or church, but you haven't started giving financially, can I encourage you to do that? But what that means is at least once a year as a church, we're going to be challenged to think about making uh, Jesus the priority with our money and thinking through where we're at financially and what we can give. And it is our hope that we as a church grow in gospel generosity. We see what Jesus has done. It impacts our hearts so strongly that we want to praise him with our money. And so that's what we're going to do. But let's look at the last point. Jesus is the God who is for us. That's the last point. Have a look at verse 19 with me. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Don't get tripped up about the language once again, but this is Paul's kind of artistic way of saying Jesus is fully God. He's not a carbon copy of God. No, once again, if you saw Jesus 2,000 years ago, you would see God himself in the flesh. But what does he do? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical bodies through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now, do you, did, did you see the kind of powerful but also offensive words? The that it says without Jesus, we were alienated from God. We were enemies. It's not like that, that, that we were just like, well, ignoring God. No, we're, we're at war with God. And yet what does God do? He sends Jesus to die on the cross so we are reconciled. That This changes the way we think about God and especially his love. Because if we don't realize that we were once enemies, the gospel doesn't become really important. If we don't realize that our friends and family who don't know Jesus are enemies of God, well, the gospel doesn't become really important because we just think, well, it's only a smallish thing that they're apart from God. But no, here is a huge thing. We, without Jesus, have declared war on the God of the universe. And yet, God is the one that while we were declaring war on him, he came in the person of Jesus and died for us. So it's a bit like this. Most people today will say, God's a loving God. And I agree with that. But, but I dare say when we think of, of God's love, a lot of us think of that, you know, God is like maybe sitting on his computer and he's on his cosmic version of Facebook and he sees a picture of us, you or me, and it's our profile picture, so it's re- we look really good. And then God goes, oh, they look amazing. I'm going to love them. But actually what Colossians is saying is it's actually far from that. Imagine God is sitting on his computer and he's watching YouTube and you and I are there 
and we're protesting against God and we're saying we've got those signs that said we hate God, we want God to die and we are burning effigies of, of Jesus, of God. And here is God looking at YouTube, looking at you and I doing that and he says, they're the people I love. They're the people I'm going to come and die for. They're the people that I'm going to fix our relationship. That's the gospel, that you and I were God's enemies and yet Jesus loved you while you were his enemy and he died for you while you were his enemy. And so does does God love you? Absolutely. Is God for you? Is he in your corner? Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, we don't want to take this great news and just make it something that we're really encouraged by, even though we are. Every Sunday we talk about it. Every Sunday we we sing about it. Every Sunday we pray in response to it. But we want to be a church that makes sure the whole world knows about this great love, about this great message. And that's why part of our vision is ascending vision. There's a slide that's going to come up right now. And so, next slide. We want to be a church that sends people to impact Sydney, Australia and the world with the gospel. Because as we look at Colossians, isn't it, wouldn't it be selfish if we just went, oh no, we're cool. We're cool with us knowing that. Isn't it great? We'll just have fellowship and that's okay when we've got a world who has declared war on Jesus. No, so we want to be a church that sends our people to impact the world, Sydney, Australia, and the world with the gospel. And what that means is four things. Over the next eight years, we want to see new congregations, not just one, but we would love to see new congregations started from our church. We started the 5 p.m. service a couple of years ago. It would be great to have another two congregations, at least We would love to see more interns, just like Jean is doing an internship next year. We would love to see more people be trained up for ministry here at MCC. We'd love to send people who are part of our church around Australia with the gospel so that they could tell people around Australia about Jesus. And we would love to send the gospel overseas. We would love to send people who are members of our church to far-flung places where people don't know the gospel and they would share about Jesus. We want to impact Sydney, Australia and the world with the gospel. And so here's what I want you to do with that. I want you to pray. Pray that we will be able to realize that. Pray that God would would send people from our church into the harvest field. Pray for more interns. But here's what I want you guys to do also. I want you to think about it. Some of you guys are retirees and you're wondering, what am I going to do with my retirement? Have you ever thought about actually how can you use your retirement to share the gospel with this world? I know of a retired couple that when they retired, they decided every year they were going to go to Africa. And they were going to help a a, a kind of like a church conference happen there so that uni students in Africa could be taught about 
Jesus and how to handle the Bible and, and they would take that back into their churches. But, but maybe you're here and you're going, well, hands, oh, I'm a bit annoyed with my job, I'm a bit frustrated, it feels kind of meaningless. Can I just say, maybe, maybe a job change is in order for you. Maybe you see in this passage how important the gospel is and, and you've realised that actually what I've been doing is going after the things of this world. Maybe I've got to actually live far more for Jesus. Maybe I need a career change. I know a guy, there was a guy in my year, his name's Paul, and he, um, he decided when he was 45, he had teenage kids still, and he was like, oh, you know, I've done, I've done enough in my career, but now I'm going to spend the last 20 or 30 years of my working life serving Jesus. I want to tell people about Jesus. Maybe that could be you. Or maybe you're here and you're at university. And you're going, man, I kind of like my degree, it's all right, but do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Can I just say, telling people about Jesus is the most exhilarating and the hardest adventure you're ever going to be on. And so what I'd love for you to consider is think about maybe doing the internship at the end of your university degree. Maybe think about, well, how can I use the skills that God has given me to take the gospel overseas or to another part of Australia? Because we want to see a world impacted with the gospel. But we don't just want the world to be impacted with the gospel. We want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. You'll flip over two slides for me, Ryan. Thank you. And so we want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. And that's why we want to grow our church. We don't want to grow primarily through, you know, the, the, the church. Oh, just one slide back, sorry. We don't want to grow primarily through, uh, you know, uh, the person who, you know, came from Byron Bay and moved here and found a church and came to us. That's great. If they're a Christian already, that's fantastic. We want that. We want to, we want to care for those people. Absolutely. But we want to see our church grow as people come to know and love and serve Jesus. That's, what, that's how we want to grow. And we want to grow more and more each year. And if you want to go, just one slide back, thanks, Ryan. What that means for us is this. Over these next eight years, we are trying to reach out to two groups. The leadership team has looked at our church and, and, and seen the resources that we've got and the area and how to look at the, our resources. And we realize we can't reach everybody, even though we want to. We can't focus on trying to reach everybody. And so we're trying to reach two groups, young families. There's 20,000 households with children in, in Ryde. And because of the development that's happening right near Macquar- Macquarie Uni, th- there's going to be even more. And so we want to reach young families with the gospel. Because young families have kids who grow up and, and those young families who, who, with parents, they grow up and they become the leaders of the church, the people on the leadership team and so on and so forth. But we also want to see uni students. We are, we are 10 minutes walk from Macquarie Uni where every day 40,000 students come to Macquarie Uni. This is a massive mission field for us. And we see so many university students come from China to here. It would be wrong for us not to try to reach them. And so over the next few years, we want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus from these two areas. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean we don't care for people who sit outside these groups? No, we we absolutely do. Does that mean that we 
We don't want to see people who are maybe, you know, my age, 40 years old, 42 years old now, come to know Jesus. No, no, no. We want to see all people come to know Jesus. But as a church, we want to be careful in our resources. And so we're reaching out to these two groups of people. We want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. Last slide, please, Ryan. There's been so much info that I've shared today. But here's the one thing that you need to remember. At MCC, our vision is to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. So if anyone asks you, if anyone says to you, hey, what is your church on about? You can say at MCC, we want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. And you're probably going, well, hence that's so big. How can we do it? Can I just say we can't? But Jesus can. We can't, but Jesus can. In fact, that's what Jesus has been doing for the last 2,000 years. He has been empowering his church to see floods of people come to know Jesus. In Matthew 28, there's this picture of Jesus going to heaven. And before that, he gives his disciples their mission, that they're meant to go out into the world and baptize, you know, get people to come to know Jesus and baptize people. And, but then you think about the types of people that he's got who, who are those disciples and you just go, how, how, how does Jesus have any confidence that these kind of blundering idiots would be able to do that? And I'm not sure if you've ever looked around at our church and we say, oh, a flood of people become Christians. You go, oh, we're going to see, we're going to do that. No, we're not. But Jesus can. And I believe Jesus will. And so what should we do? We should pray. Pray that God does amazing things. We should reach out because God works through us. But we should always realize and rest on the fact that it is God who does the work. It it is God who empowers us. In AD 33, Jesus dies. He rises again. And and he he goes to heaven. He's ascended. Forty days later, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And 3,000 people become Christians as the disciples are empowered and they proclaim the gospel. In the next 50 years, the gospel spreads throughout Rome and Asia. In the next 300 years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, the gospel takes hold of the known world. Fast forward to the 1780s when in England, a group of men who are members of the Eclectic Society, a group uh, um, who want to see the world come to know Jesus. They organized a gospel preacher named Samuel Johnson to come out to this place called Van Diemen's Land, Australia, in 1788. On February 3rd, 1788, the first sermon was preached by Richard Johnson. It was Psalm 116. And if you go to the CBD, there's still a plaque there where you can see that that was the very spot that Richard Johnson preached the first sermon on Australian soil. Fast forward to 1930s or the late 1920s, where, where, where we're sitting now, there was a Methodist church that burnt down. The, the, the group of people who were members of this Methodist church wrote to the Methodist church and said, will you build us another church? And it was coming out of the Depression, and this is all farm area, and there was, uh, it was not really uh, a place where many churches thought that this is going to explode with people. So they said, no, but you can have the land. 
1933, Marsfield Mission opened its doors. And I think they chose the words Marsfield Mission to call themselves because they realized they were on a mission to Marsfield and this area, a mission to see many people come to know Jesus. Fast forward to now. How does the gospel get to you? It's got to you because people shared the gospel with you. It got to us as a church because the gospel shared, uh, God through people shared the gospel to us. How does it get to us? How does it go from 11 scared individuals who's just seen the death and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus to here now? It is because God moved. God worked. And it's the same God that has been empowering His church over the last 2,000 years that will empower us to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. That's our vision. That's what we want to see. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this great, huge vision of Jesus. Lord, may we not have a small, little, pathetic view of Jesus, but a view of Jesus that stirs our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Lord, as we are embarking on a great big vision, a vision that's going to uh, see its fingerprints in, in all areas of our church, we pray that you be empowering us to do that. May you see a flood of people come to know Jesus here. May you see a thriving and bustling church here. May you see a church which impacts Sydney, Australia and the world, excuse me, with the gospel, not for our glory, but for yours alone. Amen.